The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Good morning. I invite your attention this morning to Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11. And this is our title today. It's called Heart Transplant. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad you could come. Uh, in these times and in these days, we need to hear the word of the Lord. We hear a lot about social media. We hear a lot about fear and panic. And we need to be socially responsible and take care of ourselves and others and love our neighbor. But today we come before the word of the Lord, not disconnected, not unpractical from the uh, very things we're facing today. But may your heart, may your ears, may your spiritual heart and your spiritual ears be open to what God is telling us to do today. But you know, it's like the farmer uh, who went to the city for the first time. And the farmer saw a mall, and while he was there at that mall, he was with his son and with his wife. And, and the interesting thing about that is, the farmer said, I've got to see this place. I've never seen anything like it before. How amazing is this place called the mall? So they went inside and they started wandering around. And inside the mall was a bank. And when they walked inside the bank, they saw a vault. Now, they didn't quite know what it was because as the farmer was very primitive, he would hide his money in his backyard with just a shovel or under a mattress. He didn't trust institutions. He did it all himself. So at one point, they stood there, the farmer, his wife, and his son, staring at this vault, trying to figure out what in the world this thing actually was. And so at that point, a little lady walked inside the vault. Now, she was a very old lady and had to use a cane to barely walk. And she walked kind of shakily, and, and, and she had to kind of slowly go into the vault, as, as you would expect an older lady to do. About 30 seconds later, though, a beautiful young lady came out, and the man was petrified. Where did the old lady go, and how did this lady get there? The farmer saw the old lady go in the vault, and the young lady come out. So his wife had wandered off somewhere else in the mall, and, and the farmer leaned over to his son and said, Hurry up, son, and go and get your mother. She needs to take a hold of this and, and take advantage of this situation. Now, that's a silly story to illustrate the fact that this man wanted instant transformation. And that's what discipleship is all about. That's what a change of heart is, is actually all about. The farmer's wife would not have immediately been transformed, and neither would we be in our spiritual journey. But like that farmer, we want transformation to happen right away. We want things to happen right away. In this day and in this time, we want our country to go back to normal. We want our world to go back to normal. However, we do not have control over the speed at which that happens. And even more so, we don't have the speed at which our spiritual transformation happens. You know, in fact, just as a weird side note, the average heart transplant, including the need for drugs after surgery, is almost $1 million. Isn't that crazy? Yet the best heart transplant a man can receive costs him nothing, and the new heart will never fail. 
And the new heart that I'm talking about, the transformation I'm speaking of, is the one the farmer didn't understand, the one that we don't see all the time, but is one that God gives. It is a spiritual transformation. Isn't this what Jesus said and told us in John chapter 3, verse 3? When he was talking to Nicodemus and he said, unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Like this man that thought of the old lady becoming a young lady, you would expect Israel, the people of Ezekiel, to be quick in their transformation. They've been warned for centuries about what is coming. They've been warned for centuries that they, they are going to be under judgment. They are God's favorite people with his word, with his presence. Surely of all people, they would be the first to grow, and not only grow, but to grow the fastest. And they were nowhere near where God wanted them to be. As we saw in Ezekiel 10 a couple weeks ago, and you can find that on our website, towerviewkc.com slash media, towerviewkc.com slash media, when the glory of God departs, the power of God departs. And the saving grace of God is withdrawn. And in chapter 11, we're going to see this. When this nation should have been transformed, not only instantaneously, But incrementally, step by step, they saw themselves once again in a place where they were no longer viable spiritually to the point where God was throwing in the towel and bringing down his judgment hammer upon them. You see, they departed from the word of God, they disobeyed the word of God, and they followed after the world itself. And a heart that has found religion but not experience regeneration, not experience the instant transformation that comes by believing Jesus Christ as Lord and that God raised him from the dead, Romans 10.9, will be restless until it returns to the world. Christianity is not merely a new set of rules, but it is a new creation. We are the new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians says, 5.17. Religion may bind the sinful heart, but it cannot change it. Only grace alone can do that. So this morning, what I want to look at is Ezekiel 11 and ask the question, what in your life fights to be in the place where God should only be in your heart? And what if our churches turn back to Jesus with nothing but open Bibles, humble hearts, giving him complete and final say in how we move forward? What if we say to him, we are open, Lord, to radical change in order to obey you, whatever the cost. How could that not go well? The big idea today, which just as a reminder, is kind of the thesis or the, uh, the, the big summary statement of the sermon of the chapter is simply this. In the new birth, when, when a heart is transformed and transplanted, the great physician, who is God himself, cures our soul, removes our old heart, and gives us a new heart, and he still makes house calls today. You see, the new birth always produces a changed life. Wherever there is regeneration, there will be a transformation of life. We are born again once and never twice. The Bible teaches regeneration, not re-regeneration. This is why people who walk an aisle and say, I want to rededicate my life to Christ, the first question is, are you really rededicating your life to Christ, or did you really get saved for the first time? Faith alone saves us, but faith that is alone does not save, because true faith always produces good works. Faith is the root. Good works, the necessary fruit. And good fruit comes from the good root. 
There ought to be evidence in your life that the, there is grace flowing out to show that grace has actually flowed in or flowed in. So this morning, three truths about God's work in our hearts. First, the promise of God from Ezekiel 11, 1 to 12. Second, the pronouncement of, excuse me, of God's sovereignty. And third, the prophecy of God's departure. I want to read Ezekiel chapter 11. We're just going to read uh, these, these sections as we go through. But here's Ezekiel chapter 11. And if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, why don't you do that? And I pray whether you have a Kindle or a, an iPad, an iPhone, a Bible, just get in the Word of God, stay there, because this is the most important thing we can do, and this is God's Word, so hear it carefully. It says in Ezekiel 11, The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the house of the Lord, which faces east. And behold, at the entrance of the gateway there were twenty-five men. And I saw among them Jazaniah, the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Beniah, princes of the people. And he said to me, Son of man, these are men who devise iniquity and who give wicked counsel in the city, who say the time is not near to build houses. The city is, is the cauldron and we are the meat. Therefore prophesy against them and prophesy, Son of man. Verse 5, And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said to me, Say, Thus says the Lord, So you think, house of Israel, for I think the things that have come into your mind and I know the things that have come into your mind. You've multiplied the slain in this city and filled its streets with the slain. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, your slain whom you laid in the midst of it. They are the meat, and this city is the cauldron. But you shall not be brought out of the midst of it. You have feared the Lord, and I will bring the sword upon you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you out of the midst of it. And I will bring you out of the midst of it, and I will give you the, into the hands of foreigners and execute judgment upon you. You shall fall by the sword, and I shall judge you at the border of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. This city shall not be your cauldron, nor, verse 11, shall you be meat in the midst of it. I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes, nor obeyed my rules, but have acted according to the rules of the nations that are all around you. We will read the rest of the verses, actually, as we move forward, as we see heart transplants. How God instantaneously changes people and gives us a fleshy heart when we used to have a stone-cold heart. Let's pray together as we begin today. Father God, as we come before you, we are grateful for the fact that we have been changed if we know Jesus Christ by faith alone and grace alone, in your word alone, by your spirit alone, to your glory alone. Father, give us wisdom today as we go through these things. May we not be like Israel who presume upon your kindness that Romans 2 talks about, just because we're connected to you. But, Father, would we continue to go grace by grace. But I pray for those hearing this message this morning, Lord, that they that do not know Jesus, that, that, are, that, are, that are tuning in, maybe for the first time, maybe for the second time, maybe they've heard a lot of the time, that you would, you would speak to their hearts, They'd be drawn to Christ, humbled in their sin, and seek the Savior that is found only in your Son. Father, move me out of the way. Speak as only you can. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing, three truths about God's work in our hearts is, first, the promise of God's judgment. The promise of God's judgment. If God will not spare his holy city, neither will he spare any church, denomination, college, seminary, or ministry, or group of believers. And he says there in verse 1 that judgment is public. Judgment is public. In verse 1, Ezekiel says, The Spirit lifted me up. 
and, and it gives him a greater vantage point. He sees there the east gate, and here he, that he wants to show Ezekiel something new. And he says, Behold, Ezekiel, there are 25 men. And I refer you back to Ezekiel chapter 8. Again, you can listen to that message on our website, where some of these were worshiping the, 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 the sun in Ezekiel chapter 8. But the gate is where the elders and affairs of the city transpired and justice took on root. It was the city center of sorts. And, and here they suffered into the decline of sin, and because of their influence, it brought people of the city down. And, and I want you to notice here that judgment is public. The judgment is public. The promise of God's judgment, first off, is public. He mentions specific names. Jezaniah, who was a brother of Hananiah, a false prophet who opposed Jeremiah. And Ezekiel is caught up to see the leaders in this land. And you may remember that, 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 that these leaders are, are people who are saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Church, may we remember that God takes his holiness seriously. As he shapes our heart to be more like him, we would do well to know that sometimes our sins find us out publicly. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira come to mind here as they tried to only give a portion of what God told them to give to the church. But the best protection against the darkness of error is the light of the truth. This is why it is appropriate with humility, with grace, but boldness at times to call out people publicly who have public sins. John the Baptist did it. Jesus did it. Paul did it. The apostles did it. We are not those people, but we have the same God and the same word. May we use that wisely, but may we not back from it if God so calls us to do it. So judgment is public. But second, judgment is precise. Notice verses 2 and 3. Again, notice the specific evil advice that they give. And, and Ezekiel told her in verse 2, Son of man, and it reminds him of his position, Son of man, but it tells him here that, that, they're, that they gave him evil advice. You see that in verse 2. And there's no greater advice than to give evil advice. Son of man, these men who are devised iniquity and who give wicked counsels what the word says. And they were giving wicked counsel because they were not following what God wanted for them. And in verse 3, they said to each other, is it not time to build houses? In other words, is it not time of, of peace and prosperity? Is it not time just to kick your feet back and enjoy yourself a bit? Give yourself to the things of the world, they would say, these false prophets. But this is a direct call against what God has already told Ezekiel to do. They are burying themselves in the things of the world like as an ostrich puts its head in the sand. And they said to themselves, the city is a pot and we are the flesh. It was a false optimism. Jesus reminded us in Matthew 12, 36, that I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. These people were under God's judgment. It was a public judgment. It was precise because they were on record for saying these things. May you pray for your leaders. May you pray for your, lo your, 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 your life that we not seek our own agendas but that of God's. May our hearts be inclined to do what God wants, not what we think is appropriate. So judgment is always precise and public, but it's also plain spoken. Verse 4 tells us this. It's not flowery. He tells them only what God tells them. He says in verse 4, Therefore, son of man, prophesy against them. Prophesy. He says it twice. It means to bring the word of the Lord and declare, thus says the Lord. And church, that's what we're called to do. 
as a church, as in these days that we live in such uncertainty and in times, we still bring the same word of the Lord. We don't water it down. We don't give it less than it is. We don't, we don't put something up above it. The word of the Lord stands true because God is true. And the word of the Lord stands true because he is faithful and true. But he says in Amos 3.8, God says, A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? Look, God's word is never hidden from those who are listening. It's always plain and straightforward. Is it okay to put a little silly illustration occasionally into a sermon? Well, we did that at the first, I hope so. But I also want you to remember that nothing ever overtakes what God has said in his word. Woe to us if we do not share the word in this time. Woe to us if we do not do what God has called us to do. And judgment is not only plain spoken, but it's also very personal. Did you see what happened to Ezekiel in verse 5? And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, he said, and said to me, Thus says the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord fell upon him. This isn't some Benny Hinn, out of nowhere thing. And as an aside, friends, it's interesting as the coronavirus spreads around the world, that the faith healers from uh, the false church at Bethel in California to Benny Hinn have said, Yeah, we don't want to be around that stuff. We're taking a little hiatus. Look, you will know people by their fruits. Why aren't the faith healers in all these different places healing people as they say they can? It's always under their control, in their context, in their circumstances. But the power of the Spirit gripped Ezekiel that the judgment now became personal. And it moved him to speak, thus says the Lord. That, that phrase is used 3,800 times in the Scripture, mainly in the Old Testament. And it says there in verse 5, and he goes on to say, So you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that have come into your mind. It gets very personal. As, as judgment falls on the people, it gets personal because now God says, look, I not only know the public things you said, the plain spoken things you said, the precise things you said, but I know now the personal things that you said. As a man thinks, so he is. What you are are the thoughts in your mind. Your emotions are up and down, but the depths of you, the real you, are the thoughts of your mind. And God tells them in verse 6 that you have multiplied the slain. They have killed the righteous men. They have bloodied the streets with the men and women of God who desire to seek God just for their own agendas. And God has seen them mow down righteous people and refuse those whom God has sent. Proverbs 15.3 reminds us that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and the good. Friends, God knows us. 1 John 3.20 says God knows our heart. What do we have to hide from? Christian, if you are a Christian, then you know this. God sees everything. Why don't you run to him? Are you afraid of something like Adam and Eve in the garden? Go to him. Go to him. Not only is judgment personal, in verses 7 to 11, it's also prophetic. Verse 7 says, thus says the Lord. Notice that divine authority. It really... Do, God says to them, really, do you realize that you are flesh? You are flesh like a cooking pot and your sin is inviting the, fiery, the fiery flames of God? And he says to them in verse 7, he says, Your slain whom you've laid in this midst of it, they are the meat, and the city is the cauldron, but you shall be brought out of, out of the midst of it. Friends, they were being told very clearly that God is fulfilling what he said down to the detail. God is saying, guys, you don't understand me. You don't get me. 
I am not bringing judgment on your enemies. I'm bringing judgment on you. And this is what I need to remind you of today. I am bringing this judgment. Verse 8 says, you have feared and I will bring it. God takes responsibility that he will bring the violent judgment. It's God doing this. Their sin brought it on, but God is like a good parent, following through in discipline, carrying it out. And in verse 9 he says, and I will bring you out and give you to strangers. See, God takes people who are far more evil and ungodly and uses them as the rod of his anger for those who've had his word. And in this case, for Israel in Ezekiel's time, it'll be Babylon, four or five years after this vision, and 586-587 B.C., when the city of Jerusalem finally falls. And he tells him in verse 10, You will fall by the sword, so you shall know I am the Lord. It takes this to get their attention. And he says, you will not be flesh. In other words, you will not remain here. And just as God promised judgment here, what was only promised and longed for in the prophecies of the Old Testament have been wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Friends, this should be us. Because outside Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is on us. And if you're listening to this, for you need to understand you are not kosher with God. You're not good with God just by being a person. You must repent 180, turn back and around and give up and go to Jesus Christ. God's judgment is prophetic. And finally, in verse 12, under this first point, three truths that God uses to work in our hearts. Judgment is perfect. Look at verse 12. The judgment came because they refused to be holy as he is holy. Thus they were imperfect for the perfect one, God himself. Verse 12. Thus you shall know I am the Lord. What is the purpose of God's judgment? It is that they know who he is. That they understand what he stands for. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And he says, verse 12, You've not acted in my statutes or acted according, you've acted according to the nations. Again, God gives clear evidence in the courtroom about why this is happening. And he says, Israel chose to embrace things of the nations. They departed from the word and always where this verse is going to be fulfilled. Look, church, if we want to be successful in these days of reaching people who are in self-quarantine or in, in areas where they can't be reached, may we remember that God is going to honor those churches who honor the word, to love our neighbors, to serve the, those who are having trouble. If we adopt the rules of the world, even in times of distress, the glory of God will depart. So, folks, what will we choose to believe as a church? Will we choose to stand on the Word of God? Will we choose to claim what He has said? Or will we choose to model our lives against something that goes against His very Word? So three truths about God's work in our hearts. The first one was the promise of God's judgment. The second point I want you to see is the pronouncement of God's sovereignty. Verses 13 to 21, the pronouncement of God's sovereignty. The second way God works in our hearts. For, but let's understand this. We have to understand that God is sovereign over several things. Notice in verse 13, the first part of verse 13, that God is sovereign even over death. God is sovereign even over death. I want you to see this very clearly here. He says in verse 12, And you shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not obeyed me. And he goes down to verse 13, And it shall come to pass. And it came to pass, Ezekiel speaking here, while I was prophesying that Pelatiah, the son of Benaniah, died. While Ezekiel was fulfilling what God wanted for him, this man passed away and this man died. Right there. 
God is not playing wiffle ball. God is playing hardball. And our heart can be encouraged to know that God knows our days ahead. He knows our last days. And if we are his, our days are with him forever. All by the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. God is sovereign over death. And the death of a wicked leader here is, is ordained by God just as much as the death of a treasured saint living for his glory. If we're going to understand God's work in our hearts, we need to remind ourselves the pronouncement of God's sovereignty means he is sovereign even over death. But notice the second part of verse 13. It says that God is, is sovereign even over despair. I want you to see this. It says in, in, in the second half there, and Ezekiel says, Then I fell on my face and cried out with a loud voice, Oh, Lord God, what will make a full end of the remnant of Israel? You see, the fear of the Lord leads us not to despair, but to, to dependence. God gives life to the dead and calls us to the existence of things that don't exist. Romans 4.17 Believe this and despair dies. God knows even when we don't understand and we ask like Ezekiel, oh God, why is this happening? God, why did this virus come on the earth? God, why are all these people dying? God, why this? Why that? Or God, 50 years ago when this happened, why did you allow it to happen? I want you to remember that God is sovereign even over your despair. And Christian, there are times in your life, like the psalmist of old, that you will despair in your faith. Many of you have experienced that in these days that we've been under quarantine or locked out or, or not to the usual routine we're used to. Many of you have despaired over your jobs. Many of you have despaired over what will happen. We as church leaders have despaired over what will be the new normal for church life after this passes over. But I want to remind you that God is sovereign. His presence is with you. His comfort is with you. And just as he was working in the heart of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel saw people dying, God will shore you up with his power, with his presence, and with everything he's called you to have. God is not only sovereign over death and despair, but verses 14 through 16, he's sovereign over detours. Sovereign over detours. Look at verse 14 here. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them, those whom the inhabitants of Israel have said, go far from the Lord. To us this land uh, is given for a possession. Therefore say, verse 16, thus says the Lord God, though I remove them far off among the nations and scatter them among the countries, yet I will have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. You see, through doubt and loss, God in his grace takes us here. As Psalm 73:28 says, quote, But for me, it's good to be near God. It's very personal. God is taking them on a detour. And in verses 14 through 15, it says, Ezekiel says to his brothers and sisters, Go far from the land. You see, there were two different types of groups here. There were the relatives. Uh, of those who were in Babylon that God had taken out, who had saved his people from. And then there were the rebellious ones in Jerusalem who were still thinking they were going to be okay. Their hearts were being shaped and transformed by God moving them around. Some to the hardening of their hearts like Pharaoh, those would be the ones in Jerusalem, and others to softening through the grace of coming back home eventually. But I want you to know, God was sending people on detours they did not want to go on. No one from Israel wanted to end up in a foreign country like Babylon. But God sent them there. 
And even those under judgment would eventually learn that the detour God was sending them on was a detour with no way back. It was the final judgment. God is sovereign over detours. He's also sovereign as he works in our hearts over the details. Look at verses 17 and 18. Verses 17 and 18. Therefore say, God says, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it and its detestable things and all its abominations. God says, therefore say, I have removed you. God says he's willing to bring them back from exile to the very place they know as home, to the promised land. And those in the promised land now, those who are rebelling, will be slain. You see, guys, God always has the last word, doesn't he? God always has the last word. In verse 18, uh, verse 17, God says, thus says the Lord, God is opposed to the proud. He will not let these false leaders take away his glory. He is sovereign even over the details of how this works. Verse 18, when they come from there, from exile to the promised land, I will remove it and all the detestable things. Look, God is going to remove all the sin of the city and restore it. He's going to bring it back. And what a picture of what Christ has done for us. When we were called out of darkness into light, God took all that we had, all our sin, all our rebellion, all our depravity, and he restored it at the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. And when we trusted in him and believed on him alone for salvation, he saved us, not because we were good enough, not because we were lovely enough, but because his grace was sufficient enough. And that's what God promised us. The eternal God who preceded time, created time, who transcends time, who governs time, and endures beyond time, commands us to redeem the time. The one who saved us says, not only do I save you and transform you and give you a new heart, but Ephesians 2.10, I have prepared good works for you to do. Go in my name and share the gospel. Go in my name and make disciples. Go in my name and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because God is sovereign even over the details. Next, God is sovereign over devotion. I I want you to see this. Verses 19 to 20. He's sovereign over devotion. He's going to bring them back. But here's the promise. Here's the gospel promise in these judgments. Verse 19, And I, God speaking, will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they will be my people, and I will be their God. If there's nothing else you take away from the study, let it be this. God is your God, and he's got you. You can never be snatched away from him. You can never lose your salvation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Go read Romans 8. Go read Jude 24 and 25. Go read John 10, 27 through 30. Go read the verses that tell you God is always with you. God says, and this is the promise of the new covenant. This is the promise that will be fulfilled in Christ looking ahead. He says, I will do this. Jonah declared in Jonah 2, salvation is of the Lord. It's a work of a sovereign God removing our heart of natural stone of rebellion and giving us the gift of saving faith. Faith is a gift, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And only God can grant a new heart that beats for him. 
And as they will come back into the promised land, he will not only restore their land, he will give them great revival and there will be great spiritual conversion. Nehemiah 8, we see this happen. The people wept over uh, over the word that was read to him, and Nehemiah read the word of God to him all day, from the youngest to the oldest. This is why we love having kids in service. We're so grateful that we're there. You know, an old phrase, a church that is, is, is not crying, like if there's not kids there, is dying. We love having kids in here because kids can remember things even when we don't think about it. But people wept in Nehemiah 8 because God had promised to give them a new heart, and he vastly saved them on their return to the promised land, just as he said. But not only did he save them, but verse 20 says, wherever there's a root, there's a, wherever there is a root, R-O-O-T, there is fruit of salvation. Not only is God going to save them, but they're going to walk in a way that's pleasing to him. This is why just because someone professes to know Jesus Christ does not mean they actually know Jesus Christ. Friends, we are continuing to live in a day, as we always have as Christians, that people will name the name of Jesus without having any reason to know Jesus. Maybe they were baptized in a church as a kid. Maybe they like the uh, uh, opportunities the church provides. Maybe they just want to teach their kids good morals. And those aren't always bad things. But the ultimate thing is knowing, have you been saved? Have you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for you? Or are you Christian in name only? Ezekiel 36, 25, and 27, this will be fulfilled. And it's going to be a reference point back to John 3 that we read earlier. But he is sovereign over devotion. God is not only going to save them, but he's going to motivate them, based on that salvation, to devote themselves to him. God is working in their hearts by sovereignly working out the details and devotion. And finally, even the disgusting. Yeah, verse 21, the disgusting. Look at this. It says, and I will bring, but as for those whose heart goes after detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their heads, declares the Lord. You see, sin is against God, but he still cleans house. God is sovereign. God is not the author of sin. I don't want to implicate that. James uh, uh, chapter 1 makes that clear that uh, temptation is, is not from God. It starts within us. We make the choice to sin. But I do want you to know that sin does not take away God's sovereign hand. Just because someone is sinning does not make God any less in control. Those who will remain will go after their own detestable things. God will give them over, Romans chapter 1, to their life that they want. God says, you want your sin? You got your sin. Take it and run. God is separating the wheat from the tares. Does your heart truly know him? Or do you truly just know religion? Friends, three truths about God's work in our hearts. We saw first off that God is working through the promise of his judgment, verses 1 to 12. Secondly, the pronouncement of his sovereignty. But the last way, the third truth how God works in our hearts in Ezekiel 11 and all time is that the, is that the prophecy is going to be told about his departure. The prophecy of his departure, verses 20 through, through 25. Let's just read that and we'll break it down. Then, verse 22, the cherubim, remember those are the select angels who guard the glory of God, lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them. The glory of God of Israel was over them, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. Verse 24, and the Spirit lifted me up, lifted Ezekiel up, and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea, into the exile. 
Then the vision that I have seen went up for me, and I told all the exiles about the things that the Lord had shown me. The prophecy of his departure, when God departs, the first thing that happens, verses 22 and 23, nothing is ever the same again. Things will never go back to the way they were. Verse 22, it's God's departure. They lifted up their wings. They fly away. God has said, enough is enough. I'm out of here. I gave you a chance. You didn't want to have anything to do with me, so therefore, I'm gone. And he lifted up their wings. The glory of God that filled the temple that led Israel through the wilderness by stages has left. And by stages, it now makes its way out of the city. God will now abandon them and leave them to their own ways and allow his servant, the wicked Babylonian Empire, to come and ransack the city. And notice that it was on the mountain east of the city. This is the mountain where Jesus would fulfill prophecy at the Mount of Olives. Nothing in Ezekiel chapter 11 is short of pointing back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when God departs, nothing is the same. These folks have been duped, have been brainwashed into thinking they're okay before God and how many people in our day are the same. Nothing will be the same. God's common grace is holding them. God is still giving them air to breathe, whatever food they can find, but at some point that will exhaust itself. Finally, though, when God departs, nothing is the same, verses 22 and 23, but the last two verses, 24 and 25, tell us when God departs, nothing is held back. He told them the full counsel of God's word. Because when God's glory departs, Ezekiel does what all people do when they encounter God. He goes and tells others. Did you notice that? Ezekiel was evangelizing. He went and told the exiles, this is what's going to happen. You remember Paul in Acts chapter 9, after he became and was converted, he immediately went into the synagogues to share about Jesus. The man who had the demons, the, the man of the Gadarenes, in Luke chapter 6, became the first missionary to the Gentiles. He said, Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, go and tell others. The man and several people who were healed, who wanted, Jesus told them not to speak of his glory. Well, what did they do? They spoke all the louder about God's glory. When you encounter God, nothing is the same positively, and nothing is held back positively. If you know Jesus, you know, Spurgeon said it this way, if you have no desire for others to be saved, stirred, you have this to be sure of. You're not saved yourself. Look, we all struggle to share our faith, especially in times like this. But friend, if you have no desire, I'm not talking about if you're scared or fearful. Even Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, he came to the Corinthians with trembling. But if you have no desire that others see the gospel, then you may not have the gospel at all. If you do not stay awake at some point in your life about those who are headed for hell, a real, literal, conscious hell, we have a message on that from October 2018 you're welcome to look into, then, friend, you need to know. You need to check your heart. Do you know Christ or do you not? Friend, the greatest news we have is that God sent forth his Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, that we might be saved. But in this day... Ezekiel went and told the exiles. Have we told those people displaced in their homes about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you you harnessed social media for God's greater glory during these times that we live in? Have you used your connections neighbor to neighbor to love your neighbors? Yes, but more so to verbally share the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Friends, may we be faithful to the task 
as we set under the teaching of God, the power of God will be upon us. Let us remember there is a glorious future for those who hold fast to him in this world. Friends, life may never be the same. Our economy may never recover. I don't know the answer to those questions. But it's time for us as Christians to remember that God works in our hearts. He promises to work through our hearts to the judgments around us. He promises to work in our hearts because he is sovereign. And he promises to work in our hearts because he's going to depart his glory from places. May our church, may our family, may our lives be faithful to him. If you're a Christian, you may never lose your salvation if you're truly saved. Christ saved you, he will hold you, or else he will be unfaithful. But are you living in such a way, are we living in such a way, is our church outreaching in such a way to the glory of God? May it be so. Let's pray today. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you for this time. Thank you for technology that allows us to do this. And I pray for those without Jesus Christ, that they would come to know your will and your way. Father, we love you so much. Be glorified in these times. May the gospel be bold and big. And Father, use us to reach people for the gospel. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And we say together, amen.